You're listening to the Pines Church Podcast. To learn more, visit thepineschurch.com. All right. Welcome, everyone. Uh, I know that it's a little uh, hot and humid in here. We do have some of those fans. Uh, if you want to grab one that's on your way in, I know they're a little uh, archaic, but it does keep you cool. So, um, And I just want to commend you for coming in on a muggy day. As I talked to everybody, they said, man, it was really hard to get out of bed this morning. Anybody else experience that? There was a heaviness. The, the Satan was working through the weather. And I just felt like I actually woke up my son and he turned to me and he usually just bounces right up and he said no. He just said the word no and rolled back over. And I was like, no, 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 no. No, you're getting up. Um, but uh, I'm glad that you're here and I believe that God has something for you. God is always speaking. You're not here to hear my voice, but to listen to the voice inside of the voice. God has something specific and unique that you will need to carry you through the days, weeks, and months to come. And it's not enough just to sit under my teaching, but to go and to study and to search out those things that the Holy Spirit is illuminating to you because there's another level of what he is trying to reveal and magnify to you that you need on your journey. I also want to thank you. Um, you know, I, I got a lot of text messages and people reaching out just asking me how my father was. As some of you know, I had to, re I had to go out to Colorado to help take care of him. Um, he is, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's doing, he's consistent right now. And um, it's, it's difficult if anybody's navigated that and watching one of your parents uh, exit earth and enter into eternity and there's timing and then there's the struggle of, you know, not being able to take care of yourself. So it, it's a mixed bag of everything. And I channel all of that stuff to God um, and God has revealed some beautiful things, but I just want to thank you. And I hope that you enjoyed uh, Addison. He's, he's absolutely brilliant. If you didn't have the opportunity to listen to that message, I would encourage you to listen to it. It's on YouTube, podcast, social media, um, and listen to it again and again, because it is some, it is some deep revelation and, it, and, and it's, it pertains to our, our everyday walk with the Lord. But today, as I was searching what I was going to share, um, I, I was reminded of actually the, one of the very first messages that I preached here. And uh, it wasn't like this holy, reverent moment. I was actually, uh, I think I was at Express before it went out of uh, business in the mall. And you know, they play 80s music on there. And so they were playing, well, actually, this was probably 70s music, but 70s or 80s music. And it was a song from the Eagles, Desperado, right? Everybody remember that song, Desperado? All right, and uh, one, of the, one of the lines particularly stuck out to me, and, and it, it ends with this, with this line, you better let some, you better let somebody love you, let somebody love you, you better let somebody love you. <laughs> I'm singing it. Before it's too late. Anybody remember those lyrics? And I just, I got, I kind of got wrecked and I'm like sitting there kind of misty eyed and express and, you know, there's already like metrosexual clothes in there. So I'm all just, I didn't want anybody to, so I'm just like, this is uncomfortable for me. So I step out and I'm just like, what is going on? I'm getting hot flashes. I'm like Googling WebMD, like what's going on? But I just started to think about those lyrics and how many of us go through life on our own. 
intentionally or unintentionally and how we were created and designed to do relationship and to live in community. Jesus, the Son of God, fully God and fully man, chose people from all different walks of life. And it must have been like they must have been rubbing up against each other. When you got a tax collector and you got a fisherman and you got a zealot, like all doing life together, you know you're rubbing up against each other. But Jesus saw that as absolutely essential. And what Jesus saw as essential, we cannot dismiss as optional. And so today I want to talk to you about the importance of living in godly community. I think this is an, an, an African proverb, but live together or die Alone, And I was just thinking, even as my father is, is spending these years in, in poor, poor health and, and kind of getting ready to receive his eternal reward, uh, I'm so grateful that he's invested in people and he's poured into people. And there's a community, his family of people and his, his, his church family that love him, that care for him, that are there for him because he's made those deposits, because he's poured into the life of others. And that should be the goal of each and every single one of us because we cannot do this journey on our own. And I think the church, we often treat unity when we hear that word as like just another thing. Like, yeah, it's important. I should be doing this. I should be doing that. Unity's kind of important. Um, and this kind of like this idea like, yeah, I'll try to be unified. But if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. But if you look at Jesus, his life, it was a really big deal. In fact, in John 17, during some of his final moments with his disciples, he prays for a unity that would reveal God's glory to the world. He doesn't just pray for them, but he prays for all of God's children to come together um, all the way down to you and me. That, in other words, that wasn't just a prayer for 2,000 years ago and the disciples that he was running with. That was a prayer that encompasses every single one of us as children of God. We have a responsibility to unify. And I say this many times that no matter how charismatic or dynamic the leader, they cannot make you unify. Unity is an individual choice. Whether or not you're going to open up your life to others is your choice. And just because you're rubbing elbows with others does not mean that you have opened yourself up to others. Okay, how many of you know you can, you can fake that? You can project an image. And you're talking to a master of projecting an image. In fact, I'm just going to go down a little rabbit trail because I felt the Holy Spirit kind of nudging me in this direction. I didn't have this in my notes, but I'm just going to share it with you. Um, when Jess and I were dating, um, obviously I was head over heels for her and we were dating and I thought everything was going great. And I remember having a conversation one day and, and she was essentially telling me like, hey, if you don't fully let me in, like, I'm not going to be able to marry you. And that was like a kind of a, came out of left field because I thought everything was good. But what she was witnessing was there was this surface level that of, of my heart that I was allowing her into, but I was keeping her at bay. I wasn't fully opening up to her. And as a guy, like this kind of language that I'm using is so freaking hard to understand. I'm like, I'm spending every second with you. What more do you want me to do? I don't even understand what you're talking about. Open my heart to you? Like that doesn't even make sense. And, but, so, but, but that got my attention that she said she wasn't going to marry me. And so she said, knowing some of the stuff that I had navigated and been through in my military service, she said, I don't think you've properly healed. And I think you, um, you have walls up. And I'm like, 
that's so stupid. And she's like, I think you need to see a therapist or a counselor. And I was like, oh gosh, it was the last thing in the world that I ever wanted to do. I've, I've actually evolved quite a bit because I think it's important to have um, counselors in your life. But at that point, I did not want to see a counselor. And I'll never forget, I went and saw this counselor and uh, it was a female and it was somebody that knew, like a friend of the family kind of, and, and this woman, you know, she's trying to walk me through these things. And I had, I didn't even know I had these walls, but I was just like, I had this cavalier attitude. I was sarcastic. I was like, rolling my eyes, like this is such a waste of time. And I remember there was this weird thing, like, I, I don't know if you should do this in counseling, probably not, but I remember like she would, at the end she would pray and she'd put her hands on my knees and I was just like, that's so weird. Like, don't put your hands on my knees. Like, I was just so uncomfortable in this situation. And I was paying her. I was paying her to be in this uncomfortable situation to sit there and tell me, well, open up. What do you think about when you think about that? I'm like, what do I think when I think about that? Like, I think about what I just shared with you. It, anyway, it was really uncomfortable for me. Guys know what I'm talking about. And so it was, it was uh, I think, our fourth session. And I don't know what I, had, what, what I had for breakfast or what had happened, transpired that day. But for whatever reason, I was a little bit more open. Maybe I was just kind of done projecting an image. And she began to ask these certain questions. And I don't know, she asked one question that opened up like this, this floodgate. And I, all I remember is that I started to bawl. And what I had realized is that I had not properly grieved an experience that took place in my teenage years where I was part of a pretty traumatic thing. And what I had done, not knowing what to do, not really fully being a man at 19, is I had taken all that trauma, all of that hurt, all of those uh, questions that I had for the Lord. And rather than bringing it to him, I wasn't even serving him. I just shoved it down. Okay, and I just locked it away somewhere in the recesses of my mind. But can I tell you, you, were, you will never outrun the trauma and wounds of your past. And God cannot heal what you conceal. So God could not heal that because I was not being forthright with him. I was not willing to bring it to him. And in a way, it was getting in the way of my relationship with God because I was coming to God with a projected image of I've got it all figured out when indeed I wasn't. And it took this, it took this experience of my wife saying, basically, hey, I'm not going to marry you. And that began the healing process for me. And I swear that I matured from a 19-year-old I was a 19-year-old stuck in a 25-year-old's body. You may chuckle at that, but I am telling you, if you were to examine my life, if you were to go into my apartment and then look, I probably had like, who knows, like a Bob Marley poster, a Scarface poster. I mean, like I was like a 19-year-old kid. If you went to some college dorm and then you went to my 25-year-old apartment, it would look exactly the same. And so I had stunted my growth, but through that process of letting go of that trauma and allowing the Holy Spirit to come in there and heal me, I had realized, one, that I hadn't fully committed myself to Jess. There were parts of my life that I was holding back just in the event that she was going to hurt me. And I had also done this um, with all of my relationships. So I had tons of friends. This was before social media, but I had tons of friends. But all of my relationships were a mile wide and an inch deep. So no one really knew me. So if people came, bounced out of my life, it didn't really hurt because I wasn't really 
invested in them anyway. And that's not the way that God called us to live. God has called us to invest in one another, to open ourselves up to one another. So if this is making you uncomfortable, that's actually a really good thing because you need to hear uh, this message. And I'm sure all the women are like, amen. I hope my husband's listening to this. Um, but I want to I open with this scripture, John 17, 20 through 23. And uh, it says this, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. You're going to hear a common theme here that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. So here's Jesus basically saying, Father, my prayer is the way that you and I are connected, that there's nothing hidden between the two of us. And I, can, I only do what I see my father doing or I say what I hear my father saying. I want them to have that same kind of relationship. This is what Jesus is praying over us. And he says, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So now he's making a bold claim. He's saying that their unity with each other and with you is going to show the world unbelievers that Jesus is real. I've given them the glory that you gave me that they may be as one as we are one. So the glory that Jesus had, he has now put it on our shoulders so that for the purpose of being one as a body and being connected to him in them and you, I, me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. And so if there's complete unity, there's partial unity. There's disunity. There's like 75% there. So our goal, our aim should be to have complete unity. And in order to have complete unity, we must be open we must open ourselves up to others, which means when you open yourself up to others, there's the possibility of becoming hurt, of becoming offended. But that is how true love works. See, we can't treat unity as just another thing. We must see it as the thing. This is the way Jesus saw it. We have to see it exactly the same. Our unity, the way that we love one another, the way that we rally behind one another, the way that we champion one another, the way that we pray for one another, the way that we encourage one another is a testimony and a witness to others. We find these words at the very beginning of the church in Acts 2, 42 through 47. It says, as the apostles dedicated themselves to the studying of God's word, which we're doing right now, prayer, which we just did, and the breaking of bread, God multiplied unto their number. See, we don't talk about that a lot. Sometimes it's easy to gather and study the Bible for an hour. It's easy to gather and pray for an hour. But when you break bread with each other, you're making a commitment. I'm giving my evening to hang out with someone else. And how many of you know money isn't the greatest commodity on earth? Time is. Because you and I have essentially as much time as Jeff Bezos has. He's doing things to increase his amount of time on this earth. But if he's a trillionaire and I'm a thousandaire, right? Like we still have the same amount of time. He can't get any more time than me. So how we steward our time means something. 
And when you steward your time in such a way by saying, I'm going to give this time, I'm going to invest it in you, it's a weighty thing. The kingdom of God advances through relationships. So we cannot simply come to church on a Sunday morning, sing, pray, give, study the word, and then go about our merry date throughout the week. That is not the gospel as Jesus modeled it or as the disciples modeled it. So this may be a key component that's missing in your walk with the Lord. See, the, don't fall for the monk or the mystic uh, that lures you with a carrot stick of isolation or an isol isolated lifestyle to get closer to God. That is not how you get closer to God. You get closer to God in the midst of the misfits of God's kingdom and rubbing up against one another. We have been called to be salt and light, the salt of the world, in the world, but not of the world. What does salt do? Salt preserves it. So even as believers, we can't just relegate up to the mountains with a bunch of gasoline and guns and just wait for the second coming of the Messiah. We have to integrate into the world because our unity and that glory that Jesus was talking about is a sign to the unbeliever pointing them to him that God is real. And I just want to say this. You have a sphere of influence. There are people watching you. Watching the way you live. Watching the words that come out of your mouth. Watch how you steward your finances. Watching how you steward your time. And it is ministering to people. I know St. Who is it? St. Francis Assisi said, preach the gospel at all costs and when necessary, use words. And I've heard so many men of God uh, attack that statement in, 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 in the idea of, well, the gospel is words. And yes, that's true. We need to share the good news of Christ. But I think the point that he was trying to make is that actions speak louder than words. And as Nicole was sharing, many of us have been hurt because a minister or a preacher or a teacher or an evangelist said the right words, but their corresponding behavior didn't line up with it. And it caused some confusion. So yes, the way that you live your lives is often the only Bible that people are going to read. Talk is cheap, right? What is that? Is, is that a... Uh, uh, Tupac, talk is cheap, and all the gunshot, okay? It is, okay? I'm, I'm 80s and 90s. Don't go listen to them. But it's true. But when your, lives, when your life and your character lines up with the words that you're speaking, it breaks through the shell of people's unbelief. Look at the Bible has to say about this. God has purpose and intentionality behind why, why he surrounded you with the people that he surrounded you with. And we find in Hebrews 3.13, it says this, But exhort one another every day. Sunday? Every day. As long as it is called today. I love that God's like making this like, in case anybody tries to like rope around this and like, well, every day, but every, you know, like no, every day as long as it's called today. And just so you know, every day that you're living in is always going to be called today right? Because we don't live in the past. We don't live in the future. We live in the present. So every day that you are experiencing is today. So that means that you need to heed this counsel today and every single day until the Lord's return. And he goes on to say this, 
is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So why must we exhort one another every day as long as it is called today? So that we may not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So let's go ahead and define that word exhort. It's not a word that we use every day in our vernacular. Exhort means to strongly encourage. So we must, as believers, to stay confident and firm to the end in Christ, encourage one another. Paul is telling us in Hebrews that we need this. We need godly community. And not just the kind of godly community that shows up, high fives, how's the day going, weather looks bad, and then goes about their merry way. We have to get all up in each other's business to a degree to, to know what's going on in the lives of the people that we're surrounded with. And we must strongly encourage one another so that we don't fall into sin. What kind of sin? Jealousy, anger, greed, lust, gluttony, pride, etc., etc. Strongly encouraging one another is going to help prevent us from slipping into these behavioral lifestyles because when you're doing life with one another, okay, you're going to say something, right? If I'm living with my wife every single day and she's starting to get like just go from zero to a hundred, like, oh, the dishes weren't, you know, this, everything's making her mad. It's not going to go very long before I say, whoa, what's going on? Like, you are super, super angry. Like, what is happening right now? Which never happens in our house, which is why I'm using the example, because it's like so foreign to us. We never fight, do we, babe? Yeah. We, the once a month fight. All the married people know what I'm talking about. Okay, so um, that's too much probably. But it prevents us when we're doing life alongside of each other. If we care about one another, if we're invested in one another, if we've opened up our lives to one another, we can see when jealousy begins to sprout in somebody's heart. We can see when lust or gluttony starts to sprout in somebody's heart. And then we need to strongly encourage them. So encourage doesn't just mean a cheerleader, L-E-T-S-G-O, let's go. That's not all what it means. Yes, we encourage like, you can do this. I see these giftings on you. But sometimes to strongly encourage is to point out someone's blind spots. Something that they're struggling in, but they can't see for themselves. How many of you know that you have blind spots? Every single one of I see those hands. Every single one of you has blind spots. Whether your hands came up at all. A lot of you have blind spots, you know. But... You have blind spots. And just to kind of have a little bit of fun with this, I'll just share. So what does that mean? Okay, so in the, I was a child of the 80s and 90s. And in the early 90s, uh, there was this kind of players wear layers. You know what I mean? So like I wore a, a shirt and then another shirt underneath and then a collared shirt and then a collared shirt on that and then like a hoodie. I don't know, but it was like really cool. Or at least I thought it was cool. And so what you would do is you'd take one of these layers when it got hot and you'd tie it around your waist. And sometimes you'd have like two shirts tied around your waist. Does anybody remember the 90s? Okay, thank you very much. Okay, so... So I would dress like that. I'd have, you know, like two shirts tied around my waist and two shirts on just in case, hey, my house blew up and I have six shirts on me. You know, I'm already off to a good start. 
all right? And that was cool in the 90s, and I was talking to girls and everything. But then uh, the 2000s came, and you know what? No one was doing that anymore except for yours truly, right? So yours truly was rocking in the 2000s and still tying all of those. It was a blind spot. And so one of my friends pulled me aside and was like, yo, but like... Nobody does that anymore, you know? It kind of looks like a dress or a kilt, you know? Like, you, I, it, it's, it's 90 degrees out. I don't really think you're going to need that hoodie or that cardigan or that long sleeve shirt or that extra t-shirt. And so it was a blind spot for me. And because those people cared about me, they were like, hey, dude, the reason that you're, you're not talking to any girls is because you look like a tool. And so I was grateful for those friends to be able to share that with me because random strangers... Now listen up though, random strangers were never going to tell me that. They were just going to say, look at that tool, right? But they were never going to say it to me, okay? And so there are things that are extremely evident to all of us about you that you don't see yourself. And random strangers are people that you just do life with but aren't really truly doing life with, see these things, but they're never going to take the time to breach that gap of telling you. But your true friends the ones that care about you, that are willing to put themselves out there and be a little misunderstood because they care about your benefit more, are going to say, yo, nobody ties their sweatshirt around their waist anymore, dude. You should stop doing that. I'm having fun with this, guys, but I'm talking about some deep things like pride, lust. You know, like every time you you talk about this particular, every time you talk about your job, it just really comes across arrogantly. And you shut everybody down. Every time I hear you bring this up, like people stop talking. Do you notice that? And you're like, no, that's not what I'm trying to do. I know that's not who you are, but I'm sharing like this is how it's coming across. And so your friend, because they care about you, they're, they're sharing a blind spot. And if you're not in community, you're never going to see these things. And they're going to continue to grow. And they're going to continue to get bigger and bigger. And they're going to distance you from people that God has called you to do life alongside because the gap's going to get larger and larger and larger. So we were meant to live in the light and we were meant to live in community so that these rough edges in our life, these things that can may start out as impulses, thoughts, or emotions, but left unchecked will turn into full-blown sin. Living in community highlights those things. See, the Bible says that God, well, let me just go ahead and go to Proverbs 27, 17. Oh my gosh, it's 11, okay? Iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. Popular scripture, probably toted at every single men's conference. But I want you to take the time to actually think about iron sharpening iron. You are literally reshaping a blade. That means that the blade has jagged edges and you are smoothing it. You're taking those jagged edges off until the entire blade is smooth. There are sparks. There is friction. There are pieces of you that are coming off through constant contact. And God is using this language to give you the image that relationships are often like taking a hard stone and taking a blade and rubbing up against it. And parts of you are going to come off. And it's not going to necessarily feel good, but it's for your benefit so that you will be sharp. And so thank God for the friends and the people and the family that are in your life that are willing to tell you things that you necessarily don't want to hear. 
And if you haven't heard anything that you don't want to hear, it may be time to examine the people that are in your inner circle or to examine the way that you respond when someone brings something to you that you don't want to hear. Because it's also within your power to shut it down, to become offended, to cut them out of your life, to make an excuse. I remember I had the hardest time receiving correction. Hardest time receiving correction. And the moment that somebody was giving me, correct, you know, was correcting me, it's almost like I heard what they were saying, but I wasn't listening. Do you know there's a difference? You can hear somebody but not be listening. And so I was hearing them, but what I was doing is really getting, I was waiting for them to get done talking so that I could usurp the conversation and come in with my revelation or justify my behavior. And what you justify, you buy, meaning you own it. And so I would try to justify my behavior. And I realized that there was this really bad pattern because the people that were actually willing to correct me are the people that cared about me the most. Like they're putting themselves out on front street because they want to see me better. But I didn't see it like that. I saw it as this way that I had to go through life without ever being corrected. And that was the goal of life, figuring everything out on my own. But can I just tell you, you don't know everything. And God has specifically placed those people in your life so that you can learn more. You need those people and those people need you. And so we have to normalize correction. And I know that there are mean-spirited coaches and parents and bosses that have hurt you uh, through correction. I understand that. But we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. So many times in the body of Christ, somebody manipulates or misuses a scripture. So we as a body just swing the pendulum so far over to the other side and say, well, we're not going to talk about faith because people can get weird about that. We're not going to talk about the Holy Spirit because people can get weird about that. We're not going to talk about money because people can get weird about that. We're not going to talk about correction because people can get weird about that. We're not going to talk about authority because people can get weird about that. And then we're left with nothing. Right? And so we're not going to talk about anything because it could potentially offend someone. And we have to understand that God's words, right? There's healthy holiness. And so we have to be healthy in our approach to these things. But we all need correction. In fact, we were talking about that on Father's Day. God corrects whom he loves. Like his correction is an endorsement that he loves you and cares about you. If he didn't love you. If he was preoccupied with something else, he wouldn't even pay attention to you. And we've all seen the product of parents that don't pay attention to their children and what ends up happening as they grow up in this world. No, true correction is love. You love that child, so you want to give them everything they have. But correction isn't just for a parent and a child. It's also through friends. And we have to speak the truth in love and we have to share it in an atmosphere of love. But we need to be open to correction. And that's part of the reason that we have to be in community. If you're a monk, you're just going through all these things. You're never dealing with any of these issues that have been rooted in you. See, here's the, here's the big idea, the big takeaway. If you can walk away with anything, walk away with this. God will use you to change lives and he will use lives to change you. I'm going to say that again. God will use you, you, to change lives and he will use those lives to change you. And sometimes it will sting because community calls forth our strengths and our weaknesses. And so I'm getting close to the end. I just want to, um, I want to end this well. Well, 
There's a story in Mark's gospel. You can look it up for yourself. I'm just going to paraphrase this. Mark chapter 2, verses 3 through 12. And there's a paralytic man. And the word travels throughout the, the villages that Jesus is coming and that Jesus is healing. And that Jesus could potentially be the son of God. And so these friends... These, you know, uh, they had, they, their friend was paralytic and they heard about this and they had lived their whole life with their paralytic friend. And they said, Hey, we got to get him to Jesus. And so they, they carry him. They go from one village to another and you know, a body the guy weighs probably 160 pounds. So I just want you to think about carrying 160 pounds from one village to another. The Bible doesn't say how far they travel, but even if they had to travel just a few miles, that's a long ways. And they get to the village and it's all packed out. Jesus is inside of a home and there's all these people outside of it. And so they could easily look at that and say, well, you know what? We tried. There's no way that we're going to get, be able to get in there. But the, instead they had a, the opposite they said, no, 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 no. We went this far. We're going to continue to go. And somehow these six people, these friends, they made a way through that crowd. They parted the sea. Okay, just think of a Metallica concert and there's no way that you can get to the mosh pit. And somehow these friends carrying a man on a stretcher push through. Okay, because you're going to see Metallica and you're going to get to the mosh pit. So you're going to make a way. So they made a way. But guess what? They made all the way to the entrance of the house and it was so packed that there's no way they could have made it through. And they could have easily said, look, dude, we just went miles. We carried our friend for 160, that weighs 160 pounds. Their triceps probably look like just horseshoes, man. And they pushed their way through the crowd, but there was no way they were going to get into the house. But they said, we came this far. We got to figure it out. So they climbed up on the roof. Now they're at the penalty of law. There's got to be some kind of law that you can't just damage somebody's property. But they were willing to take that risk because they heard that somebody was in town that could be the son of God, that could heal their friend. And they didn't care. They're like, we're going to do whatever we can. So they climb up on the roof. They carry their friend somehow that weighs 160 pounds, crowd surfing through the Metallica concert on top of the roof. But guess what? There's no openings in the roof. So they begin to tear open the roof right? And then they somehow find some ropes to lower their friend down while Jesus is preaching. I'm preaching to you right now. Can you imagine if somebody started cutting a hole right there and lowering somebody down? It would stop everything. That's what these people did. This isn't some mystical story or, or uh, psalm. This really happened. This is a true life account. And they lowered the man, and Jesus said, he saw their faith and he healed the man. There was a whole process that went back, in, he went back and forth with the, uh, the Pharisees because at first he forgave his sins, but he ended up healing the man. The Bible says he, when Jesus saw their faith. And so the question is, can Jesus see your faith for your friends? And can Jesus see the faith of your friends for you? We should have faith for our friends. We should be believing for our friends. The same way we're correcting in love our friends, we should also be championing the vision that God has entrusted to them and breathing. And when we see them going through a difficult time, we should be sending that text, keep your head up, brother. Keep going. 
fan into flame, that passion and that zeal. God has not forgotten you. He has not forsaken you. This promise is going to come to pass. And I don't know about you, but there have been moments in my life that have been very dark. And out of the blue, it wasn't out of the blue because the Holy Spirit moved on somebody's heart and they were obedient to that. They sent me a text message. Maybe it had a scripture attached to it or maybe it was just a word of encouragement. And I clung to that word in that difficult time. Because I said, I didn't share this with anybody else. There's no way that anybody could know this. But Lord, you spoke to somebody as a messenger to come into my life to encourage me not to let go. And that's what we're called to do. Because there are going to be many times that we feel like throwing in the towel. There are going to be many times that we feel like quitting. There are going to be many times that we look at ourselves in the mirror and say, I'm not good enough. I don't measure up. And that's when we need those people in our life that are like, chin up. Keep your eyes on Christ. You've got this. It's going to come to pass. And so I'm just going to share this. And close. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'll invite the worship team back up here. I don't know where this, this truth came from, but it's so true. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Maybe it's time we did a little inventory about who we're spending our time with. And I'm here to tell you that there are people inside of this congregation that you need to be spending your time with. People that will champion you. You are an answer to someone's prayer. God gives gifts, yes, but he often gives gifts through people. And the gift comes through relationship. And I know it's hard, and I know you're busy, and I know you got a million things going on. I know you're super important. I hear your phones ring while I'm preaching. I know you guys are super important. Okay, and you got a million things going on. But you need people in your life. And some of you have some people you need to jettison. They've been holding you back. Truth be told, that when it comes, when the fire comes, they're going to run. They're going to leave you. And you need someone that's willing to go through the fire with you. That's willing to push their way through the crowd for you. That's willing to climb up on a roof after walking miles and carrying dead weight and rip open a roof and lower you down. When you feel like quitting, when you physically can't go any further, somebody that's gonna carry you and say, we are going and we're walking into this promise. I'm not gonna let you turn around now. We need those type of friends. And this congregation is made up of those types of people. But it doesn't happen automatically. You have to get a little uncomfortable introverts. You have to strike up a conversation. You have to invite somebody to coffee. You have to invite somebody over for a game or for a barbecue. And that's where it all begins. You have to create the atmosphere. The Bible says, where is it? It says, a man that has friends must show himself friendly. You don't have to buy Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Just be, be the type of friend that you would want and it will attract others into your life. Check in on people. Send them a text. Get them a coffee. I was thinking about you. It goes a long way. But the only way we're going to get through this is together. And that's the way that God designed it. Mother Teresa was once asked towards the end of her life, what's the biggest problem in the world today? And I don't know if you know this, but Mother Teresa traveled the entire globe. And I don't know this for a fact, but rumor has it that she never owned a passport. And she traveled the globe. 
She sat with world leaders, this little frail nun who walked into diseased villages that doctors wouldn't even enter to pray for these souls. And so they looked at Mother Teresa, this, this reporter, and he said, what's the biggest problem in the world today? And she replied, we draw the circle of our family too small. We need to draw it larger every day. And my heart and my cry to you is that you would draw the circle of your family a little larger today, tomorrow, and in the days to come because there are people that are carrying something that you need on the journey that God has called you to. I'm gonna pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for every single person under the sound of my voice. Father, I acknowledge that making friends and, and opening up and sharing our lives is difficult and there are so many people in this in this room that have been wounded, that have been betrayed, that have been hurt, that have been taken advantage of, Father. But I just pray that they would find the strength and the grace to reach out again to develop those relationships, that you would take the wrong people out of their lives, illuminate to them, show them the people that are dragging them down. And Lord, would you bring the right ones in? Brothers and sisters that they can count on in times of need. Brothers and sisters that are gonna point out when something's not lining up in their life in love. Brothers and sisters that are gonna lay their lives down to help. Guide their steps. Give them hope. Give them a glimpse of what their life can look like. Father, I thank you that you are doing a holy and sovereign work in this congregation. And I just pray that we would have a willingness to yield to your Holy Spirit, to open up our lives, to become larger, to live with one another in unity, in community, God, so that we can reflect the Father. And God, we give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. This is an important message. I just encourage you to maybe just spend an extra few minutes in the foyer, just at least introducing yourself to somebody that you haven't introduced yourself to before. Thank you so much. Until next time, Godspeed. Thank you so much for listening to the Pines Church Podcast, a sermon resource provided by the Pines Church in Bangor, Maine. We'd love to hear from you, so leave us a review on this podcast. If you have any questions, visit thepineschurch.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.